take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're literally turning a page. I think we spent, I don't know, three, three months or so in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. So we are starting chapter 6 today and we are just going to jump right into it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. We're just going to simply walk through the passage, and he starts with be careful. Anytime Jesus speaks, we probably ought to get the pen and paper out. When he says the word be careful, we ought to stop and pay attention and probably highlight whatever he says next. Many translate, in fact, depending on where, uh, what version you are using, many translate uh, what the NIV uh, translates as righteousness. Some translates it as good works, good works. And so what I think is important is to ask just a couple of questions as we look at these four verses. What is Jesus saying and what is he not saying about good works? So he's not saying don't do good works. Okay, we see that in, at the very beginning. Um, he just simply says, when you give. Not if you give, when you give. That's the expectation. So he's not, not saying don't do them, don't do good works. If you didn't go, grow up in church, that probably sounds like the most obvious thing, right? You should do good works simply because they're good, thus the name, Right? But if you grew up in church, as I did, and I loved my church experience, I think it can be maybe a little more confusing than that because somewhere along the way, good works were painted in a bad light. So as I think about my growing up in church and somebody talked about good works, it was like, hey, don't fall, don't fall for doing the good works thing is what it felt like. And it was pretty confusing, uh, especially as I started reading the Bible a little bit on my own, because it certainly appeared that Jesus was commanding us to do them. Paul talks about them. Peter talks about them. James, Jesus' brother, says if you don't do them, something's seriously wrong. So he's not saying don't do them. Can't save you. But they are not unnecessary. They are necessary. Second, Jesus is not saying they are always to be hidden, right? In a chapter before, Jesus says these words, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So certainly this isn't something to be hidden all of the time. What matters is who is the object of this glorification? Is it you or is it God? And, and before announcing it, I think we really have to pause, particularly in this generation where we post everything. And, and sometimes it's in good re, for, for good reasons. Other times it's, it's just an attention drawer, drawer. So I think we just got to ask the question, who's getting the glory if I announce this, if I show this, if I say this, right? So he's not saying don't do good works. And he's not saying that you have to hide them all the time. So what is he saying? 
I think the hinge phrase is to be seen by them. To be seen by them. It can also be translated in order to be noticed. The Greek there is the same Greek word for theater, right? So it has at its root this idea of putting on a show for other people. Jesus is going straight to the core in these first few verses of what he's going to talk about for the next uh, 14. He's saying it's your motivation to why you give that matters the most. It's not the behavior, it's the motivation, right? However, contrary to what you may have heard, again, I'm talking to to, uh, some here at the beginning, to churchgoers, um, because I, I think we've heard something that I've heard pastors say, at least, the gospel is not about behavior modification. Have you heard that? But the gospel's not about behavior modification, to which I want to ask, what gospel are you reading? Because the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, seems to talk an awful lot about our behavior, and Jesus seems to care a lot about it, and he wants to modify it a lot. He's teaching his disciples all through these four books about a whole new way to live. It's about a new way to be human. And in chapter 5 alone, we saw over a half dozen new characteristics, and every one of those characteristics had a behavior that was associated with it. So before you walk me out, hear me say that, yes, behavior matters, and behavior matters a lot to Jesus. It's just not enough. The right motive behind the right behaviors is, in fact, what he's teaching us in this section. You've probably noticed that in religion including Christianity, there's a lot of times where we do the right things for improper motivation. Goofy, weird, narcissistic, attention-drawing reasons. And these first four verses, as I mentioned, set up the next 18 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going to lay out three different practices, right? We're talking about this one today, give to the needy. Next week will be, I assume, will be prayer, and then after that will be fasting. But this is really the setup to the entire section. Every generation has its core practices, right? And I think in 2020, we could probably say our core practices, think about it first before I tell you what mine are. What, What would yours be? If you had three core practices for Jesus followers, for Christians, what would they be? I went with Bible reading, prayer, and going to church. That last one may be debatable. You might say tithing or or something else. But I think those are kind of three that we would talk about. Now, in Jesus' day, there was no Bible to read, right? You would go to synagogue. There would be one there, and you would try to to memorize it, right? And the most important part hadn't even been written yet. So that one wasn't all that pertinent in Jesus' day. And then going to church or going to synagogue was like going to the church, the government offices, the community center, justice center, worship center, all wrapped up in one. So that one really wasn't that pertinent either. But these three things, these three things are all over rabbinic teaching. And Jesus in this section is talking about the danger of hypocrisy in these three things. Just doing these three things so that mom and dad and people in your community will believe that you're righteous. Jesus says, don't do, these things are important to do. Don't do them to impress other people. 
So give to the needy. It's one Greek word. I'm not even going to attempt it. You can play with it if you want to. But as I've read this week, it's kind of a slippery little word to uh, translate into English. The King James Version translates it almsgiving. Almsgiving. That actually might be a little bit better for us to understand than just this idea of giving to the needy. Because yes, it involves money, but it's something much bigger than that. It can also be translated as acts of charity. Okay, So give to the needy. Almsgiving, acts of charity, all flow out of the same word. So, yes, it involves the tithe. If you were worried if I was going to preach about tithing today, relax. I'm not going to. A tithe is just really the starting gate of what we're talking about today. It's like the minimum entrance requirement. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about. We're, We're talking about, yes, giving, but also maybe taking in an orphan, right? Or what we might say, a foster child today. Or, or to them, it might also uh, involve taking in a stranger that we might identify as a refugee or a refugee family. Or buying a goat for somebody, a family in need. And today that might be us buying a car for somebody who is in need, right? This almsgiving is financial, but it's also emotional, deeply relational, and it is going to take time. And we're going to do all of that for the good of those who need it. So, so it's a really a lot more like what you and I call social justice today. Social justice is not a modern creation. It's been around since the very beginning of the nation of Israel. It's at the heart of the Jewish tradition, right? In fact, it was uh, such a part that the Hebrew word for this, zedekah, I can say that one, zedekah, it means righteousness and almsgiving. Same word for both. So to give alms was to be righteous, and to be righteous is to give alms. They were uh, implicitly linked together for the Hebrew. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but after uh, A.D. 70, after the fall of the temple, Judaism had to basically reinvent itself because the temple, which was at the heart of this sacrificial system, was no more. There was no more priesthood, no more sacrificial system, which made it very difficult to live out the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So in this revamp, giving to the needy really replaced the sacrificial system as a way to make atonement. So instead of going to the temple with your sheep to sacrifice it, you would maybe uh, pick up some groceries or, or again, like I, I said, donate a goat to a family who is in need. Maybe you would volunteer a day with the needy. And that, in fact, for them, was like the sacrificial system. But generosity was so embedded at this time when Jesus was teaching um, that they actually had to come up with a rule that said you can only give X amount of your money because we don't want you to become poor by giving to the poor. Interesting. But it was so deeply embedded that it wasn't a question of whether to give or not to give. That, that could be a question maybe for us that we have to wrestle with today. But that's not what Jesus is dealing with here. Jesus is talking about motive. And he lays out two potential motives, right? A positive and a negative. Let's start with the negative. It says, do not announce it with trumpets. Now, there's some dialogue, uh, but very few people actually believe that somebody goes, and, and then they, they would give, right? Um, so what Jesus is doing is what all good rabbis did in that time, and, and that was he's just had a play on words. And so there was, there was 
uh, a ram's horn that was at the door to every temple or at the temple at the time. Um, And you would walk in and you would drop your coins in it, right? And so it was a ram's horn, which also is a shofar, right, that can be used as playing a trumpet. So I think what they they were talking about is just that when you walked in, you didn't go... That's not it, right? You want to make sure everybody knows. Kids, you can have that later if there's any kids left in it. But that's the idea of and make that trumpet sing as to draw attention to yourself. And Jesus is saying, don't announce this to the world. As who does? As the hypocrites do. And they do this in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Now, as far as we know, this is the first time that Jesus uses the word hypocrite, right? He uses it 17 times um, in the four books uh, of the Gospels. Most of the time he's referring to religious leaders um, of the day. But it's not quite as ugly of a word or it wasn't as ugly of a word as we've made it today. It's a pretty harsh word if you were called a hypocrite today. And he's, he's pointing some of that out, but it wasn't near as ugly. It just simply meant the word actor. Actor. That's all, that's all it meant. And theater was, was kind of a big thing in their particular area. Now, in Jesus' day, just a couple of mi- uh, miles from his hometown, the hometown of Nazareth, Ra- Nazareth was a city called Sephoris. And they had an amphitheater there that was the center of attention. Looked a little bit like that. In fact, it doesn't look a little bit like that. It looks exactly like that. It was probably in better condition at the time. But everyone knew uh, what it was to be an actor, right? And Jesus is called a tecton. Tecton. And that's often translated in, as a carpenter. And we see these images of Jesus, you know, cutting the saw or sanding. And as Jonathan has taught us many times, it's just not, it's just likely not accurate. There wasn't a whole lot of lumber. There weren't a lot of trees. Um, so the, the word is really more construction worker or stonemason. So what? Right? So what? Well, it's because scholars believe that this very theater made of stone, just a couple of miles away from where Jesus grew up, he and his dad likely, as construction workers, worked in the town of Sephoris and maybe even on this very amphitheater. So, so all that to just simply say, this is a very common word. Actors, not maybe unlike today, were kind of put up on a pedestal. They were looked up to. And so everyone was familiar with the word, um, which is just one who puts on the show for the delight of others. One who puts on a show for the delight of others. And Jesus is simply saying, don't do that. Don't do that. He says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Jesus is saying that if you give to the needy, if you participate in social justice, just for human applause, then you'll get it, but that's it, right? You'll get the pat on the back. You might get the hand clap, the the, the plaque on the door. You might get a comment on your Instagram or Facebook feed, but that's it. That's the only applause. That's the only Uh, celebration you're going to get. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Anyone struggle with that verse? 
what in the world does that mean? I mean, are you supposed to look this way, write the check? I don't know. But I think it relates to Mr. Miyagi. So, Karate Kid and Ralph Macchio, not, not Jaden Smith, okay? I think teaches us a lot about it. So, what's he teaching him right here? Wax on. Wax on? Wax off. And he's telling him to snap it in, right? Breathe in, breathe out. Being very intentional. And then, he, then he goes on to sand the floor and paint the house or paint the fence or whatever, right? And, and Ralph's just getting frustrated. He's like, what am I doing here? But then one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is he and he's wax on, wax off, sand the floor, right? And he's blocking all of those things, right? So he had been trained how to do all this stuff. In such a way that he, the right hand really didn't know what the left hand was doing. I watched Trent and Lucas and others come up and play on the drums. And they're doing all this different thing. They, they can't be thinking about this hand goes here, then this hand goes here. They just, they just do it. They've, they've practiced so long that it's become a habit. That's what it means to live in such a way that good works just naturally flow. Right? That's the kind of people who don't know what their left hand is doing. They've been so transformed by their walk with God that it has transformed their character. And that's what we're trying to do. We're just at Skyline trying to be a learning family who just naturally goes around and does Jesus things without thinking much about it or thinking much of it. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will, in fact, reward you. So what's interesting is that Jesus is not down on doing something to get a reward. I don't know that that would have hit me before studying yesterday. He's not down on us working for a reward. That that doesn't seem altruistic, right? And so as I was looking at some different things yesterday, you know how you chase rabbits on the internet, I ended up on a Zen proverb. And here's what the Zen proverb said. There are only two things that matter when it comes to doing good unto others. You doing the good deed and another person benefiting from that good deed. It is foolish to expect a third thing like thanks, credit, or a favor in return. Doesn't that just sound right? Doesn't that just sound right? But it's not. It's not. That's not what Jesus just told us, did he? He said, there, Jesus says there are three things that matter when it comes to doing good unto others. You being, being obedient, others experience my love through you, and your Father will reward that obedience. There's actually three things, and it's okay to want that reward. So in our time remaining, let's just walk through these three things real quick, right? First idea is just this idea of being obedient, There it is. Being obedient. You realize that being a Jesus follower requires following? Say it again. Being a Jesus follower requires following. It requires obedience. And in order to be obedient, you have to learn what it is that we're supposed to do, right? Make sense? And in order for us to learn what we're supposed to do, someone has to teach us. So I want to talk to the parents and maybe grandparents in here. I did not do a particularly good job with uh, the older two, Chase and Katie Grace, in giving. We didn't, I'm not terrific with money. 
Um, the good news is I didn't have it for most of my life, so I didn't have much to do, have to do a whole bunch with it. But I did not teach them very well. Um, in fact, I've probably learned more from Kirk Humphreys than, than I, uh, in just them talking about what he taught the family than, than I've uh, certainly done in my own family. But think about this. When we get from God, and that might be the key point that you came here today, <laughs> when we get from God, because everything that you have, your salary, you might think that you're a genius or you're a hard worker or you're skilled and that it comes from that. I'm just telling you that everything that you have comes from God. And when we get from God, we should do three things, right? We should send, save, and spend, right? First idea is just send. We're going to send it on. It's the first thing that we do. We send it on to do God's work, to do kingdom work. And then there's this saving piece that we've got to get better at, right, where we set aside uh, something for a rainy day because it always rains. And then the third is spend. We've got bills to meet, right? And so if we could just teach our kids or those that we're discipling in the faith to, to either literally put three jars out on their dresser or, or three maybe different accounts, then some is going to go first to the send account. And you've got to decide what percentage is that, right? And all I would say, and I don't want to be harsh, but don't break your arm patting yourself on the back if it's at 10%, okay? Well, the Bible says this, and that's what I do. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching against right here. <laughs> Being legalistic and just giving because it checks a box, right? This is a motivation issue. Right? So, so, so whether it's 33% in each one, and, and I know you may be thinking, there's no way I could live off of 33%. But if you did, if your kids learned how to live off of 33%, do you think their story might be a little different? Their legacy might be? But again, don't get, don't get hung up on the percentages, but just, just want to plant a seed. The 10% was the start for, uh, for, the, for the Jew, right? And I think for the, for the Christ follower as well. And then when you started at, start adding up all the different offerings, the thanks, that thanks offering, the fruit offering, uh, the grain offering, the, the don't glean, don't go over the field twice, and, and leave the edges, right, so that the poor can come in, there's no question. We're talking about 30, 40, 50, 60%. It appears that God wanted to go out to his work, Okay. Don't get hung up on where that percentage is. The, the point is just for us all to stretch from a motivation standpoint of just being able to release. It's all his anyways. It becomes somebody else's as soon as we spend it, and it will all be somebody else's when we die. Second thing. So the second thing we see is others experience a gift from God the Father. Okay? Others there's a second reason why we give to the needs because they experience a gift. They experience the Father's love, right? So I did online ordering. I'm, I'm, I'm not new at this like I've only done it a year or two, but I, I'm getting more addicted to it. Um, so I used to start shopping for Christmas on Christmas Eve, and it helped narrow down the number of options. But I, I got started early this year and, and ordered some things from Amazon. But then I'm watching as you can follow where they're at, and, and they get to a certain place in Oklahoma City, and then it just stalls. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so I wait and I wait and I wait. And days it just, it just stayed there. So I, there was two different things. There was a bag for Chase that showed up a month late. And then there was a, uh, a charger, uh, iPhone, iWatch, iWhatever, Buds. Um, 
charged them all at the same time for Katie Grace. And that's the only thing I got them. I got them bag and, and, and that, and it wasn't coming. So, you know, your mind starts playing tricks, and I'm thinking, did, did the Amazon driver just think his kids could use the same thing? And then you start thinking, who do I even call? I mean, there's no number for Amazon. Who would I even call? And what would I even want to happen to the person if that, in fact, did happen? So if that happened to you, Amazon orderers, how would you feel? What would you want the company to do to the delivery driver? And then this week, for the first time, I started thinking, we are God's delivery drivers. And there are times where we keep all the packages to ourselves. And God wants to meet a need. He hears the people praying for the need. And he enables you to meet the need. And we keep driving. Third thing. Third thing. The Father will reward you. You should do this. You should give to the needy. You should give alms. You should do acts of charity. Because the Father is watching and he wants to reward you. We don't know exactly what that is, what it looks like, but we know we have a trustworthy father, and he won't pull the rug out from underneath us. It will be worth it. Matthew uses father 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount. 17 times. You think he's trying to prove a point? We're born with this desire to be noticed. I mean, literally out of the room, we are crying for attention, aren't we? And, and fathers, you, you've heard this most, and moms, I'm sure you have too, but as fathers, daddy, watch me. We had six or seven little, soon to be seventh, uh, seven-year-olds uh, at a birthday party yesterday, and I kept hearing, daddy, watch me, daddy, watch me. And when you have two of them, <laughs> it's whiplash. <laughs> daddy, watch me. I saw that. I saw that. No, you didn't. You were looking at him. Oh, you're okay. I was, but I will be now, right? And then I, and I got this one for the first time yesterday. Twins, dad, watch me. <laughs> from one of their friends. Okay, I'll watch you too. But we, we're dying to be noticed, aren't we? In fact, we're dying to be noticed by our Father. And we have a Father who's watching and smiling. And do you know the only thing that the twins wanted yesterday? They just wanted a, you're doing good. Or, wow, that's incredible. That's it. That's all they wanted. They didn't come running up right afterwards going, hey, do I get 20 bucks now that, since I did that backflip? No, no, they just wanted the applause and attention and smile of the Father. And what we have to do is make sure that we don't settle for any cheap earthly re reward like the praise of people or even that feeling inside when we do something good. When we uh, used to go to Africa quite a bit, we would recommend a book before uh, we left called When Helping Hurts. When Helping Hurts because, quite frankly, a lot of people with means... Uh, end up hurting by trying to help, right? Thus the name of the book. And what the authors say is that w those with resources often give out of a God complex. We tend to think that we are different than the ones that we are helping, that we are above them. And we set off these endorphins in our body because we think we've rescued them. And the authors pretty much prove, no, that's not the case. And one of the great lines in the book is that poverty is about broken relationship. In this community first, one of the most incredible lines in the video that we've watched is the number one reason, the primary reason for homelessness is a catastrophic loss of relationship. 
And when you look at poverty that way, we are on a level playing field. We've all been poor because of broken relationships, broken relationships with God, broken relationships with ourselves, broken relationships with, ever, with others. We're on a level playing field. We are in need as much as those we are attempting to help. I have two challenges for you today. One is to spend some time looking at 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. I'm going to read it, but we're not going to spend much time with it. It starts like this, but since... You excel in everything. And I think about skyline, really, in this first verse. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in, love, in the love we have kindled in you, man, that is this church. It is a church of strong faith. It is an eloquent group of people who are very smart, have plenty of knowledge. They are sincere. You are sincere, have incredible hearts, and you love well. He says to us, as he did the church at Corinth, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Then he goes on to say, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I had to wrestle with that verse this week. I'm not going to talk about it, but I'll let you wrestle with it. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. There has to be a paradigm shift. We cannot come in with the God complex. And, and we also, as, as people who may not make as much as other people, start thinking in your mind, oh, he must be talking about them when he says they're rich, right? Because we say this all the time. If you make $32,000 a year, you're in the wealthiest 1% in the world. Congratulations. So likely it applies to most of us in this room. And what would you expect, if you were God, out of your wealthiest 1%? But if you want to change the way you live, you have to change the way you think. You have to change the way you think. Horace Schultz from uh, the Ritz-Carlton, you know, won so many awards year after year, best service hotel uh, in the United States. He he was the architect of it, and the reason he got his people to serve with such uh, pride and a smile and they would do anything for the person, go the extra mile, wasn't just because they were getting a paycheck, but because he changed the way they think. Uh, He would hire some people from other hotels that actually resented the service deal because the way they were treated by people. And he said, you're not down here and they're up here. This is, and this was his line, this is ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Right? That's the Ritz-Carlton thing. Ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. If we can get in our mind that we're just brothers and sisters, serving brothers and sisters, what wouldn't you do? I know this isn't true for all of us because of strain in relationship, but what wouldn't you do for your biological brother or sister? You would probably move heaven and earth. And I think Jesus is just simply saying, they are. The one holding the street sign, that's your brother. He goes on in verse 10. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. 
Verse 12 again. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Last verse of the day. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, but listen, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. And it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. That's what it means to be a family in the body of Christ. The primary apologetic of the New Testament was how they lived. It was how they lived, how generous they were, in particular to those who were in need, Acts chapter 2. And when they loved like that, God added to their number daily. So one challenge, spend some time in 2 Corinthians 8. Second challenge, do something for somebody this week who is in need and don't tell anybody. This week, just do something for somebody in need, don't tell anybody about it. Now, don't do that because I told you to do that or that would defeat the last 30 minutes and I'd just have to go over it again. This is an invitation from Jesus. And when you do it, when you do it, just imagine. I know it's hard to do. Imagine God the Father just smiling. Let's pray. Stand up. Father, thank you for all of the blessings that you spoil us with and we get to enjoy. Father, what we're asking for today is that you would just speak to us. Give us a sense of balance. Let us not get hung up on percentages. But would you just open up our willingness a little bit more this week? Would you give us your kind of goggles that notices the people that are in need? Would you allow us to come across their path? Father, maybe sometime this week, would you allow us, would you give us the privilege of being the answer to the prayer of another person? Everything that we have is yours. Spend it as you wish.